Ruben Navarrete Jr. is one of my favorite guests on uh, this show. He is a podcaster, the host of Ruben in the Center. Uh, he's frequently on TV and radio across the country. He is also uh, an author of a book about his experience as a Chicano, a Mexican-American, at Harvard College. His writings, by the way, on Substack are available through navaretenation.substack. Uh, it's uh, all posted on our site. The connections are. Uh, Ruben, I wanted to ask you first about your most recent uh, column about Harvard students begging for money. And this is through the Harvard Ar Arab Alumni Association is asking members for donations to help the students who were now linked to a now infamous letter blaming Israel alone for the vicious October 7th attacks by Hamas terrorists. Uh, what is the story here and why is it so outrageous that the very privileged students at America's oldest university, uh, Harvard, and wealthiest university, Harvard, uh, why why are they asking for financial help all of a sudden to support their pro-Hamas point of view? My friend, always good to be with you. And first, let me just say, since that terrible day on October 7th, your podcasts have really been essential listening. Thank I've enjoyed you. all of them. I especially like the one with uh, your brother, Jonathan. And Thank I just you. want to commend you for the important work you're doing. So to Harvard... Uh, this story, I was surprised that it has so many legs. It's been off, been going on and on, but it's significant because it's about young people learning a hard lesson about life. And it's about learning the consequences of, in some cases, signing a document before you've read it or writing, um, reading it, signing it, and then not expecting the consequences and trying to get out of the consequences. And ultimately now the, you have the, the additional wrinkle of the Arab Alumni Association at Harvard asking for donations because they say the students are being harassed and uh, maybe deprived of future employment and all these other things. Uh, I, I want to go on the record saying that I've always been in favor of some element of cancel culture because I see cancel culture, unlike a lot of my Republican friends, I see it as being about accountability. And these people, these students and these organizations that signed this letter with incredible insensitivity, incredible bad timing, Blame, distilling this very complicated issue down to the simple soundbite that somehow blames the victim for, for the tragedies uh, that occurred on that day, uh, those students and those organizations need to be held accountable. So count me on for cancel culture in this case. So, again, what you're talking about is there's a difference between freedom of speech, which we both yep. support, of course, and freedom of consequences. If you say oh, something right. profoundly stupid and offensive, there are consequences. That's right. You know, our friends on the left, Michael, are fond of this idea of civil disobedience. And I think I am, too. I have a great historical, you know, uh, reverence for it. Going back to Henry David Thoreau and his going to jail to protest the poll tax, uh, protesting the Mexican War, the U.S.-Mexican War. And then most famously, you have the letter from the Birmingham jail by Martin Luther King, what the young activists at Harvard and many other people do not understand is that Dr. King wrote that letter from a jail cell. The whole idea is you can't escape the punishment. You have to accept and welcome the punishment. That's part of the deal for civil disobedience. So I, I am distressed that these students 
apparently have the courage of their conviction to sign a document that now many of them say they never read, including, by the way, Harvard Law School students. That's encouraging, right? <laughs> You've got people who are going to Harvard Law School who signed a document that uh, they um, make, say they never read. I, I think this. I think ultimately if employers decide not to hire these young people, they can do so for a whole series of reasons that have nothing to do with politics of the Middle East. It could be about the fact that they have uh, no civility, no propriety, that they they went off half-cocked without um, any kind of, of, of thought process in this. They, they were thoughtless. They were rude. It was terribly insensitive uh, to blame the victim uh, again so soon after the tragedy before having all the facts. So, you know, it doesn't even have to be about politics. It just has to be about simple decency and decorum. And there I think the Harvard students get an F. Okay, speaking of decorum and uh, consequences of statements, President Trump is speaking in Iowa. He released a very ambitious deportation plan. And it was a deportation plan not only aimed at people who were in this country uh, and, and not authorized to be in this country from terrorist nations or nations with terrorist movements in them, uh, but it also involved uh, a, a much broader sweep. Uh, what, what do you think this will do to the ongoing and apparently very right. successful so far efforts by Republicans to build more of a base in the Latino community? Uh, well, listen, President, uh, former President Trump's trying to do a few things. He's trying to keep up with Ron DeSantis, who even though he dominates DeSantis in the polls, DeSantis does have uh, a knack for getting something that Trump always desires, which is media attention. And most recently, uh, DeSantis said he wouldn't take into Florida any uh, refugees uh, from Gaza. Uh, he certainly doesn't want any Palestinians from Gaza because he says, well, they're not all terrorists. He says they're all anti-Semites and we shouldn't take them in. And so Trump can't stand, you know, <laughs> that uh, this governor of Florida is, is trying to uh, elbow his way into Trump's signature issue of immigration. So now you have, have this uh, comment from uh, the president, the former president. It's also uh, very tricky, I think, Michael, for Republicans because Joe Biden is all over the place on immigration. He just announced he's going to build a Trump-style border wall. Uh, he was vice president when the president, Barack Obama, deported three million people over eight years. Uh, so I think that Democrats have long since decided they're going to race Republicans to the finish line or race to the bottom and say, we can be just as tough on immigration and deportations as you are, if not tougher. And so it's a very strange dynamic here at work in the presidential race as it relates to this issue. To your point about Latino support. If they play it right, that's really the Republican secret weapon, because no matter what Trump does, his support with Latinos continues to grow and increase. And certainly, I think Democrats continue to hemorrhage uh, Latino support because a lot of Latinos are saying, my goodness, there's no difference between the parties anymore on immigration. You know, why go for the cheap imitation of the Democrats? I think I'll vote for the real thing. What uh, do you think is taking Gavin Newsom to Israel right now? It's kind of Strange, isn't it? He's governor, a podcaster uh, from Ruben in the Center. He is also a syndicated columnist and a frequent uh, guest on radio and TV programs across the country. Uh, Ruben, we were talking before about President uh, Trump talking about mass deportations, which, by the way, are very expensive. Uh, I, I, I've heard 
various sources about just how expensive they are, but apparently because of the legal proceedings that you have to go through and then paying the expenses of uh, detaining people, uh, rounding them up, and then sending them wherever you're going to be sending them, it could be as much as $100,000 per individual who's deported. Uh, this is President Trump talking about his deportation plans and trying to justify that in terms of comparisons with the horrific attacks by Hamas on the people of Israel. Listen. Very interesting. The recent terror attacks are also a reminder of the deadly dangers that we face from Joe Biden's demolition of our own borders here in American soil. Can you imagine what's happening with these people pouring in under Biden, the same people that attacked Israel, killing, raping, torturing, and maiming innocent civilians are right now pouring into our once beautiful USA. I have to say that once beautiful because what's happened to our country in three years is not even to be believed. Uh, quick response, Ruben Navarrete. Michael, there's more reason to worry about President, uh, former President Trump's cognitive, cognitive decline, something we often talk about with regard to President Biden. You know, before he, he mentioned how I remember running against Barack Obama and Biden's going to get us into World War II. Now he would have you believe that the same people, who, Mexican immigrants, uh, Salvadoran, Venezuelan immigrants who are coming across the U.S.-Mexico border, are the same people who in Gaza stormed that border to invade Israel. And this is just an incredibly careless use of language when he says the same people. Um, and, and so it's, it's unfortunate that he you know, seeks out these issues. Again, he seeks them out because he sees the competition out there. He sees Ron DeSantis and others trying to get on the bandwagon. Uh, but it's, it's really unfortunate that an issue as sensitive as that becomes a chew toy for, for politicians who uh, sometimes act like and talk like they're not all there. Yeah, I think most people of every political perspective and every perspective on the immigration issue agree that people who are members of vicious gangs, uh, people right. with criminal records, people who have offenses, who have broken uh, laws regarding violence and property crimes and the rest, should be deported or, or should be arrested right. and serve time in prison. But uh, what what he's talking about is there are plenty of stories of uh, ordinary people, uh, people who are are working, are often homeowners here in the United States, right. who get picked up and then deported. Do you do you think that that number uh, of a hundred thousand dollars cost to the government for uh, detaining and deporting someone is a, an exaggeration? Not at all, not when you're paying Border Patrol agents $40 an hour, thanks to uh, the strength of their union. Uh, I think that uh, you're right. There's the deportation, there's a, there's a detention, there's transport, there's going before a judge, all that. But here's the terrible part. It's not just expensive. If it were expensive and that were the end of it, if you could actually deport Maria to Mexico and never see her again, that would be one thing. But you'll see her again. If she, you remove her on Monday, she'll be back a week from Tuesday. And she will continue to make her way back. And Border Patrol agents say that. They literally have said before Congress, Border Patrol agents and their union members have said, uh, I remember arresting the same person three times in one shift. Now, they make that point, Michael, to, to really drive on the idea that we have a porous border. But what I hear them making is a different point, which is 
the futility of deporting people who are determined to come back. So it really is this kind of cycle. We continue to pay these union-protected Border Patrol agents all this money, and we move people across, but they always come back. And you know why they come back? There was a poll out this morning that showed a study that showed that San Diego, where I live, is the number one most expensive city in America. And the only saving grace that San Diegans have is ready, available, affordable immigrant labor. As long as people in Texas and California and Arizona and Michigan and all over continue to hire undocumented immigrants to do these chores that we can't do or won't do, uh, we're going to continue to have Maria hop her way back over the fence. And uh, what, what should be done about this, too? Because everybody believes, certainly conservatives believe, in rule of law. So we clearly have a ridiculously broken immigration system, as we've talked about before. Uh, but what should be done? I'll say that those Republicans who believe in the rule of law, most of them did not work for Donald Trump. Uh, they don't now need lawyers <laughs> facing indictments. But I think yeah, Sidney Powell. What should, what should be done is a smart border along the U.S.-Mexico border, more technology, more electronics. I have asked Border Patrol agents that very question. Their supervisors have told me in the past they don't want a big, beautiful wall that people can go around or over or under. They want uh, better roads along the U.S.-Mexico border so you can apprehend people, better electronic surveillance. Uh, more tunnel detection equipment, and instead of getting those things, they get uh, speeches from politicians who think they know better. So I always, I've told you this before on your show, I always listen to the cops. As a son of a cop, I listen to the cops and I disregard the politicians. And the cops are saying they don't need walls and fences. Uh, yeah, the cops are saying they need more sophisticated equipment and, and 21st century solutions. Uh, a amen to that. Um, regarding the current uh disapproval of our local government uh, institutions, particularly our national government institutions, actually. The uh, Gallup is reporting, they've been doing these polls for years and years, that uh, support for Congress, uh, confidence in Congress, has hit an all-time low. And right. this is before Kevin McCarthy right. was driven, the poll was taken back in September, before Kevin McCarthy was driven from office, before the current cartoons surrounding Jim Jordan yeah. and uh, Patrick McHenry. Uh, <laughs> what does Congress need to do to try to get more than a 32% right. uh, level of it, uh, even fair confidence that Congress right. is capable of doing the right thing? Uh, it means that you're, you're talking about 68% of the country, right. more than two-thirds, who don't trust the people that we elect. I bet a lot of your listeners are thinking, 32%? I would think it would be more like 3% at this point. <laughs> uh, and if, if you need proof of that, just in the last 20 minutes or so, Michael, you may have seen this story already. The story this morning, late morning, was that Jim Jordan had pulled out of another vote for speakers saying he didn't have the votes, and they were going to go with uh, Patrick McHenry as a temporary speaker until the beginning of the year. And then 20 minutes before I go on to your show, we see another story breaking where Jim Jordan has now reversed himself, changed his mind, he's back in the running, right? Right, and and Matt Gates is against Patrick. Matt Gates is against Patrick McHenry because he said he would be Speaker Light, and he says I don't like Bud Light, and I don't like Speaker Light. Excellent. See, to, to call this a clown show would be an insult to clowns, and it is the <laughs> wrong time, obviously, in the history of this world and such a dangerous world we live in, to have such an abdication of duty on the part of Republicans in Congress. And I have not been impressed, as you know, over time by the Democrats and how they perform when they have the gavel, uh, or certainly in the Democrat currently in the White House. 
but this really takes the cake. I mean, the fact that they don't take seriously their obligation to call together, to get a speaker, to get a funding bill passed for Israel and Ukraine, this is very serious stuff. And they're not serious people, clearly, given just what's happened in the last 24 hours.